Excellent job, Scott, reading from an excellent chapter of the Bible. Romans 5, one of those kind of chapters we need to keep on speed dial. Hey, I'm glad you're here. I am glad that I'm here. I'm glad that we have this opportunity now to further study God's Word. Before we get into our lesson, though, I have some good news to share with you. Before I share the good news, right? We have a family that came to me today and said, hey, it's time to make it official. We want to be members of the Azalea City Church of Christ. And this family is near and dear to me. I have known them quite some time, especially the patriarch of the family. Um, He was two years behind me in school. And so uh, comes from, uh, they all come from a, a great family, and I'm so thankful to have them part of our family. So... Brent, Kimberly, Parker, and Evie, we'd like to officially welcome you to the Isaiah City Church of Christ. If you guys would all stand up, welcome to Isaiah City. Brent is also the brother of Bree Yerbedra, so uh, more family. Again, I told you all, you can't talk about anybody, okay? We're all kin around here, so no, uh, I love Brent, and I appreciate he and Kimberly, and uh, certainly Parker is in the eighth grade, and Evie is in the sixth grade, and so it's just a great, again, just growth, and I'm thankful for that. Great members, and I'm glad to have them with us. Last week, we had a, a lesson about wrestling, wrestling with God. And we looked in that lesson at Jacob. Jacob, in Genesis 32, he went through that struggle, right? And so in our class this morning in the fellowship hall, we talked about another attribute of God, that God is good. And we are talking about these type of attributes and looking at Scripture further and talking about the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God and and even going through these struggles with our Almighty God, because at the end of it, we want to be able to do like the psalmist said, we want to stand in awe of Him. The more we study God, the more we appreciate Him, the more we fall in love with Him. And that is the goal through our theme this year. And and so along the way, we, we need to remind ourselves that even though we wrestle and even though we struggle, that God is good. God is good at all times. He is holy at all times. He is sovereign at all times. He is love at all times. He is grace at all times. He is truth at all times. We could go on and on, right? He doesn't take time off. And so, with all of that saying, today you may have walked in here and and come to worship today still wrestling with God. You're wrestling with something in your life and you're trying to say, God, where are you? God, help me. God, I'm crying out to you. Can you hear me? The answer is yes, He does hear you. And the answer is, where is God? God is standing with you. And I want us to see that today. You see, we serve a God who stands. He stands for a lot of great things. He stands for righteousness. He stands for faith. He stands for servanthood. He stands for love. And we could go on and on. 
But in order to help illustrate this, I want to take you to where Jason... Jason did a great job, buddy. First of all, pronouncing the word Habakkuk is a victory in itself. I want to take you back to the book of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters long. Habakkuk was a minor prophet because he wrote a three-chapter book. And the reason he wrote that book is because Judah was struggling. There was a lot of evil going on around them. You know, I, I think we can relate to that, can't we? I mean, there's a lot of evil going around us today. There's a lot of struggle going around. Maybe not even as severe as it was in their day. And so with that, I need you to understand that Habakkuk was written about 2,500 years ago. Again, he wrote it in the land of Judah. Habakkuk doesn't just identify what's going on in the world. He gets down to it and he asks God some questions. Habakkuk literally was wrestling and struggling and battling what was going on. He opened up his book in chapter 1 saying the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Think about that. He said, I am telling you about the burden that I have seen. There's a big burden weighing us down. What is a burden? It's a weight, right? It, it's put on us. It, it's, it's like being held down and we can't do anything about it. There's this struggle, this battle, this urgency to be able to get out and to get free going on around us. And we're struggling, but they were 2,500 years ago as well. He does ask God questions. He asks God questions like in verse 3 of chapter 1, Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? I mean, think about that. This is a prophet of God who's wrestling. He's asking God, Why do you cause me to see trouble? It was a burden. He's having all of this on him. In other words, he's asking God through it all, God, there's a lot of mess going on around us. Where are you in all this mess? If we're truthful with ourselves, we've asked that question too. Doctor says it's bad news. The boss says, hey, i got to let you go. The husband looks at the wife and says, hey, I don't love you anymore. The children say, I hate you. There's so many things that we encounter that even though we are part of the church, it doesn't mean that we are exempt from the struggle. Now listen, I think we could probably fill this place up every day if, if you could come in here and say, hey, you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're in this bubble and you'll never have any trouble again. We can't tell that truth. I mean, we can't tell that as a truth because it'd be a lie. Jesus told us the truth. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have struggles. Now, he went on to say, be of good cheer for I have overcome this world. But, you know, I, I said we could fill this place up if we said we wouldn't have troubles. And I can't make that promise, but I can make the promise that we have the solution. 
Every problem, every struggle, every wrestling match that you're going through, every burden that you are feeling today, all the mess that's going around, I know where God is. I know where He is in your mess and I know where He is in mine. Is there fighting in the world? Yes. Is there fighting in the family? God, where are you in all of this mess? You have problems at work? Problems in life? God, where are you in this mess? Health struggles, death facing our family, where are you in all this mess? In chapter 1 of verse 2, Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry? Not just how long shall I cry, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Now Habakkuk is a prophet of God. He's not a bad man. He's not an evil man. He is a good man. But he's struggling. He's wrestling. He's got all this going on, and he wants to know, where are you? God, I've been crying and crying and crying and crying. How long am I going to have to cry? How long am I going to have to cry and you not hear me? You know, Solomon spoke of things in Ecclesiastes of being in seasons, right? And sometimes when we go through these trials, we might say, hey, it's just a season we're going through. And we think about this, that, you know, we're about to enter a new season. The grass is starting to green up. The flowers are starting to bloom. Springtime is coming and it gives hope to those plants that went dormant, right? Maybe they didn't have the growth they wanted to have last year, but this year they they have new hope because it's a new season. Well, sometimes our seasons seem to go on for years. The season of life that you're going through, sometimes it feels like we can't get out of it. And we may say, God, how long do I cry? And how long will you not hear me? Some might even say, if God loves me, another question, why is He letting me go through this? I said in class earlier, the biggest reason people leave a faith, a faith in God, a belief in God, right? There are people that are atheists today that have left being believers in God and they're atheists today because they just can't understand how God puts people through pain and suffering or allows it. You see, that's a struggle. And if we're not careful, that wrestling with that struggle you're going through in life will become a fight. And when we start fighting God is when we start losing God. Maybe you've prayed, Lord, please let X happen. Whatever X is, right? Please let X happen. X didn't happen. But then Y and Z also happened. You see, you you might have prayed, God, take this away from me. And, And He didn't take that away from you. And then some other bad things happened on top of that. As your preacher, as your friend, as your brother in Christ... I will never pretend that I have all the answers. I don't. 
I can't explain why certain things happen to certain people. And I will never pretend that I can. I will never tell you I have the reasons why things are happening in your life and happening in my life. But I will always point you to the one who does know. It's not God today who is saying Habakkuk or fill in your name. You're not able to get through this You're not going to make it. You can't get through it. This struggle will kill you. That is not God saying that. It's Satan. The devil wants you. He wants me. He wanted Habakkuk. He wants us all to fail, to give up, and to fight God. But God doesn't sit idly by. You know what God does? He stands. So today, as we look through this lesson and we wrestle through these struggles in our lives, I don't want you to see a God who is sitting there thinking, I'm going to let Him cry a little bit more. That's not who God is. See, God is active. God is up. He is moving. He is in your life. He's in my life. The, the reality we have to understand is that sometimes we got to understand that the strength is in the struggle. But today I want you to see that God is not sitting by waiting on you to fail. He's standing up waiting on you to succeed. Number one, we need to see God, when He stands, His promises stand. In Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 12, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud. And it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and and all flesh that is on earth. Now, if you listen carefully in that, you kept hearing God say, this is the sign of the covenant. This is the sign of the covenant. Why was he saying that? He's saying it because he wanted people to know this promise will stand forever. Now listen, there's been a lot of rainy days. And you might hear the weatherman say, well, it's flooding in so-and-so. But in that promise, it was that all flesh, it will not destroy all flesh ever again. The flood will not ever do what it did in Genesis 6. And when that rainbow is in the sky, that promise is still there. You see, that promise stands. There are a lot of promises that God has made. I preached a sermon earlier this year about the promises of God. All those promises will come true if they haven't already. There's another promise that God gives us. 
literally, that Jesus gives us. And it's in John chapter 14. In John 14, he, Jesus is talking to His disciples. And I love how John recorded things because he recorded them differently than, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're all different in their own ways. But, but John is different than the other three Gospels just about totally. It's almost like he had that bird's eye view, right? And he wrote from that perspective of maybe even these things really uh, meant something and, uh, and affected me. And, and even though the Holy Spirit's telling them what to write, it's like he's playing on what God uh, or what John saw that God wanted him to see. And here they're struggling. Why are those disciples struggling? And we have a glimpse into their lives right here because Jesus is leaving them. Think about it. They left their livelihoods to follow this man. They left their homes and they left what they did and they've been with this man for three years. Now, he's been telling them about some things that are coming and some things he needed from them and he's watched them raise people from the dead. He's, they've watched him raise people from the dead and walk on water and, and make blind people see and lame people walk and all of these things. But besides all that, they love Him. They're family. And now all this burden, think about the burden that they had on them, the disciples who become the apostles. Think about the burden they had on them. All of this is coming down on them now. And they're going to feel all this pressure. What did they need? They needed a promise. Here's the promise Jesus gave them. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself that where I am, there you may be also. See, to me that is so beautiful. Because Jesus said, hey, don't, don't be troubled. I can sense your anguish. I can sense your anxiety. I can sense the struggle and the burden you're feeling right now. Don't feel those. He said, you, you have faith in Me. You have faith in My Father. He said, you know where I'm going? I'm going to get your place ready. I'm going to prepare your place. And guess what? If I go and prepare a place, I'm coming back to get you. I'm not going to leave you here. I'm not going to leave you in your struggles. You see, that promise that God made to Noah still stands today. That promise that Jesus, through God, made to those apostles, disciples literally at that time, it stands today. Our God stands. His Word stands. And so if he said in, in 1 Corinthians 10.13, there is no temptation that will overtake you. First of all, James told us that God doesn't tempt us. It is impossible for Him to tempt us. We are tempted by Satan because we're drawn away by our own lusts and desires. And so if you have a temptation and a burden that you feel like is overtaking you right now, hear me out on this. God promised that it won't. 
Not only did He promise that it won't overtake you and, and destroy you, He said, I will provide a way of escape. My question to you today is this. Do you believe that it will flood this earth and destroy it again? I'm going to guess you don't. Why? Because you still see the rainbow in the sky. Do you believe that there is a prepared place called heaven? I'm going to guess that you do or you wouldn't be here. If we believe those promises, why don't we believe the others? Why don't we believe that He's going to provide a way out? See, God stands in His promises. His promises will always stand. And the reason that is, is according to Hebrew writer in Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. The earth will never be destroyed by water again. Jesus Christ went home to prepare a place for you and me to live forever, and He is coming back. That is a promise. But so is, there is a way of escape. There is a way out. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. God stands. His promises stand. What else stands with God? His kingdom. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 17, we have these words recorded. And Jesus answered him. That's Peter who he's answering, Simon Peter. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now let me remind you what he's revealed. Before this, Jesus asked a question. He said, who are people saying that I am? Well, they spoke up. They said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're, you're Elijah. You're one of the other prophets. He said, there are people saying a lot of things about you, who you are, who you might be. But Jesus is getting down to the, the nuts and bolts of it, right? He's getting down to the rubber meets the road. He said... Who do you, my disciples, the ones who will bring my kingdom into existence, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I say you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And if that doesn't chill you, you may be dead. Can you imagine that scene? Jesus in his mind said, yes, Peter gets it. He did remind him that flesh and blood didn't tell you this. Only God could reveal it. And in verse 18, he said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, what rock? That He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that foundation, on that rock, I, Jesus, will build my church. And the gates 
of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. God stands on His promises. But He also stands on His kingdom. I've heard people say before, well, the church is dying. Some of that is probably true. You can look at different autonomous congregations and they are gone. They no longer exist. And and we could say there are all kinds of reasons for that. I I know that COVID was a big one and, you know, maybe a congregation got older. Maybe they quit being evangelistic. There are a lot of different things. But but we can look and we can say, hey, we could point to this congregation, that congregation, and say they're no longer. They're gone. And you can say, well, look at the numbers of, of, of Christ's church. They, they were at this number and now they're at this number. So yes, the church is dying. But, but let me tell you something. The church of our Lord will never die. It will never die. His kingdom will always stand. Satan, throw whatever you've got to throw at it. Throw hell at it. Because He made the promise, and His promises always stand, that the gate of hell itself will not prevail against the church. My kingdom. Wouldn't it be great to say that you are a part of a team that never lost? If you were in a military or you were going to war, wouldn't it be great that you were part of the side that would never, ever be killed out and, and, and defeated? Well, I can't make a promise about a sports team and I can't make a promise about a military, but I can make a promise about the church of our Lord. You become a member of of His kingdom, and you will always prevail. You will always be victorious. Because in the end, if you look at the book of Revelation, what is the book of Revelation? It's so mysterious. It's so this and that. And listen, there's a lot that we could talk about that that I won't go into detail about, but here's what you need to know. Revelation's theme is God wins. Satan, you can throw whatever you want to throw at it. You go back to the temptation, the 40 days. We have three recorded. How many of them were there? I have no idea. I mean, it may have been 40 days straight of just bombarding him. He was, I believe, loosed on earth at that time. And he could throw everything he wanted to throw at our Savior. And he threw it at him, and he threw it at him, and he threw it at him. He was, Jesus was weak, and he threw it at him, and he threw it at him, and, and turned these stones to bread. And, and he kept on, and he kept on, and he kept on, and in the end, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. 
And he wants somebody to interpret that dream because it is bothering him. And nobody can. Nobody in his circle of influence can. And then somebody says, what about Daniel? I heard he has the ability to interpret dreams. So he calls Daniel in. And essentially he says, Daniel, this is what my dream is about. It's about this big statue. And he said, it's got a gold head. And then it's got silver. And then bronze. And then iron and clay. And I need to know what this is about. And it talks about how part of it will be destroyed and part of it will not be. And Daniel says, well, let me tell you, the gold head, that's your kingdom. That's Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. But that head is going to be conquered. And then the silver, they represent your conqueror. That's the Medo-Persian Empire. You have the Babylonian Empire. You have the Medo-Persian Empire. And he said, then the bronze, that's the Greeks. The Greeks will ultimately, they will have a kingdom. They will have an empire. But he said, then there's another one. The iron and clay, that represents the Romans. Those four major empires that ruled the world, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian, and the Romans, that's that statue. But he said, there is a fifth kingdom. And here's what Daniel said about it in verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven, in the days of those kings, now they were, they were under the king of Rome when Jesus did it. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Daniel said that a long time before Jesus said what he said in Matthew to Peter. God's plan all along is to be a part of a kingdom that will always stand. Why not be a member of that kingdom? Why not be a member of God's forever family? We know that God stands on His promises. We know that He stands because His kingdom will always stand. But we also know God stands because His Son stands. We serve a Savior that certainly understands the struggles you're going through today. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are. Now, I don't know any more details about that than what is recorded there. But if you're struggling with something that is tempting you to walk away from God today or to be separated from God today, Jesus has already been tempted with it. You know what He did? He overcame them all. He resisted everyone. But He understands your struggles. 
And He understands your burden. And He understands, like Habakkuk says, that you are crying out. And how long should I cry? How long will you not hear me? In Acts chapter 7. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Stephen has been reading them their rights. He's been preaching the good news. He has preached the gospel. He said, you killed Jesus. You had him in your hands. And it gets down to the point that they're tired of listening to him. Not just they're tired of hearing the words he said, but they have allowed this to enter their hearts and they want to kill this young man. In verse 54, when they heard these things, that's the message that he's been preaching. By the way, this is a 50-something all the way to 60-verse chapter. He'd been preaching a long time up to verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Now, counter that with Acts chapter 2. Peter preached and they heard those things and they were cut to the heart. But they said, what shall we do? Not these folks. They gnashed at him with their teeth. They are biting. They are just grinding. They are so mad at the words of Stephen. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Every version from this point forward will recall Jesus sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Where is Jesus today? He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that show? It shows power. It shows sovereignty. It shows authority. Remember, He said, All authority has been given unto Me in Matthew 28. Jesus is equal with God. He is at the right hand of the throne of God. And He's sitting on that throne, but not on this occasion. He stood up. Why did he stand? I have no idea. But here's some of my thoughts. Maybe he stood up to say, Hey, Stephen, I'm right here with you. Now, your burdens today and my burdens today, I'm pretty confident nobody's going to stone me for my faith. So think of Stephen's burden that day. He said, Stephen, maybe he said, hey, I'm I'm right here with you. Because Stephen could look up into the heavens and see it. It wasn't just a feeling he had in his heart. He gazed up into heaven and he saw it. And just in case, he said it to those people. Hey, I look up and, and, and I gaze into heaven and I see the Son of Man standing. Maybe Jesus was saying... 
Stephen, I hear your burdens. I see your tears. I hear your cry. I'm right here. Or maybe he was saying, say the word, Father. And I'll go back right now. Roll these clouds away. Rain down fire and destroy this earth. And I'll go and bring them home. I don't know why he stood. But Stephen sure found comfort in him standing. I like to think that he stands for me. And he stands for you. Yeah, I know you received that bad news at the doctor. But I'm standing for you right now. Yeah, I know you're going through financial difficulties, but I'm standing for you right now. Yeah, I know your marriage is struggling and you're trying with your children and your family is, is on the brinks and, and you're really, it's a burden on you. Hey, look up, I'm standing for you right now. I don't know why he stood. And I'm not sure Stephen knew why he stood. But in the moment of his greatest burden, he found comfort to know that his Savior stood. He stands on his promises. He stands on his kingdom that will last forever. And he stood up for Stephen. Habakkuk. It's where we all started. Habakkuk in chapter 1 asked questions. Guess what? In chapter 2, he asked questions. The Lord started answering him in chapter 2. He started letting him know what was going to happen. And then he got to chapter 3. And Habakkuk said that he's heard God's speech. He was afraid. But then he cried out to revive the work. And then you get down to the end of it. And even though Habakkuk had a burden, remember he opened up the chapter saying, this is the burden that I saw. He asked God, how long are you going to hear, allow me to cry? How long before you hear my cry and see my tears? And then we get down to verse 17 of Habakkuk 3. And maybe you can relate to this. He said, though the fig tree may not blossom. Now, if you were harvesting figs, that would be a big deal, wouldn't it? If, you're, if, if, if you sold figs and, and made preserves and different things that you needed figs for, and you had a crop of fig trees that didn't blossom, that would be a burden. He said, nor fruit be on the vines. That'd be a burden. Though the labor of the olive may fail, another burden. And the fields 
yield no food, another burden. Though the flock, in case you're a shepherd, may be cut off from the fold, another burden, and there be no herd in the stalls, another burden. He said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And He will make me walk on my high hills. He started out saying, this is the burden that I saw. Now at the end of it, he didn't say that God had taken away all the burden. He didn't say that God had taken away and put plenty of figs on the tree and olives on the tree and sheep in the uh, pen and animals in the stalls. But he did say no matter what. Because you stand, God. I'm going to stand with you. I can't take away all your problems. My whole life I've been a fixer. I feel like God put that on me. You know, if, if there was conflict in, in my home, I wanted to fix it. If... If somebody was hurting, I wanted to fix it. And so, I went because I was struggling and sought help and, and somebody helped fix me. I said, hey, I, I want to I do that to others. And so, I'm going to become a counselor as well. And so, I go back to school with the blessing of the elders and, and, and get my degree in, in counseling and and even to this day, I will counsel people, and, and I, I am so thankful when they walk out of there, and it's like, it's fixed, yes. Not because of me, because of God. But then there are those moments when I just can't fix it. My words, even though I'm trying to use God's words, you know, maybe there's a lot of... of, of problems in the equation but it hurts when you can't fix it today I can't fix all your struggles I wish I could I wish I could snap my fingers and they'd be gone but God can God made promises that will always stand he built a kingdom that will always stand. And he's got a son. When he sees burdens, he stands. Today the question has to be, are we standing with him? Maybe there's wrestling. Maybe there's burdens. Maybe there's struggle. But as long as you're holding on like Jacob was holding on, there's still hope. But have you quit holding on today? And for whatever reason, you, you came back today and you said, hey, I'm going to give it one more opportunity. Well, today's that opportunity, folks. 
He's standing with you. Stand with Him. Become a part of the kingdom that will always stand, that will always be victorious. And allow God, the fixer of all, to put your pieces back together. And let's do it right now. It's together. We stand and sing.